Good evening, everyone. It's a pleasure to be up here doing this and um, yeah, preaching and opening God's Word to us this evening. And I'm excited that we're, we're journeying through Acts as the series we're on at the moment. I'm going to be finishing chapter one. And um, Helen did an amazing job of doing all the difficult bits of this chapter last week. So I'm going to be um, picking up some of those points as well. And you know what? Let's just dive straight into the passage. So it's Acts 1 verses 15 to 26, I believe, if you've got a Bible on you, um, and I'll read it here. And just for a bit of context, so the so Jesus has ascended. We haven't had Pentecost. We're in this kind of 10 days in between, so it's a really short period of time. And as Helen said last week, the apostles uh, are all gathered together praying and waiting for the Holy Spirit. And in those days, Peter stood up among the believers a group numbering about 120. And he said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. And then Luke gives us this little graphic aside. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Acheldama, which means field of blood. And Peter continues, for it's written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justus, or Justus, should have checked that one, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. So it's quite a, quite a lot going on here. And as I've said, Helen has done an amazing job giving us some context. Um, I'm not going to go into loads of that, but do have a listen if you missed that um, last week. Tonight, I want to zone in on just a couple of verses. So that's verses 21 and 22. And I think these verses tell us really clearly what is the role of the apostles. And I think this gives us an excellent framework for understanding what the book of Acts is all about. And let's just read these verses again, 21 and 22. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning with John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. And then this is the crucial line. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So, you may remember, or you may know, um, Alex and my my wife and I, we studied opera when we went to uni, and we trained doing that. And something that I remember from these times was uh, when you used to do shows, you had a director. And we had one really good director who told us about this guy called Stanislavski, who's a Russian director. And Stanislavski said, when, when you're kind of going through your characters and you're working out oh, what's, uh, what's going on underneath the surface for this character, you need to have your character arc and your, your character's super objective. 
And he describes the super objective like this, the inner essence, the all-embracing goal, the objective of all objectives. So a little example, I love Lord of the Rings, if you know it. The hero, Frodo Baggins, his super objective is to destroy the one ring. It's a big job. But within the trilogy, he has to do lots of different things, lots of objectives like fighting trolls and spiders and climbing mountains. But all the time, his super objective is to destroy the one ring. And the apostles are given a super objective well ahead of Stanislavski by Jesus. And he says, you'll be my witness. And then again, uh, earlier in verse 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's what I want to talk about. Our, our super objective is to be witnesses. And it's a specific call. So it's to bear witness to a particular event and a person, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So whether the apostles planted churches, whether they started small groups, gave to the poor, shared a meal, whatever it was, they're, they're kind of the objective behind all the objectives was to bear witness. And yes, the, the apostles had a quite specific role in history. They, they saw the risen Jesus and their job was to witness to that which they have seen. But I think as, you know, as Christians throughout history, that's the same, the same job specification for us, is to bear witness to Jesus, to bear witness to what God has done in all our lives. But importantly, that we believe Jesus Christ really did rise from the dead and that he is continuing to renew all things. And as followers of Jesus, I think we just need to hold really, you know, hold fast to this. Because, yeah, I say this carefully, but I really believe it. You know, it's not, it's not just good living. It's not putting on great church services that's going to save the world. It's always been the resurrection of Jesus Christ that has the power to... Oh, I always get emotional <laughs> when I talk about that. Um, it is the only thing that has the power to renew all things. So there's just three applications that I want to take from this text and just talk about what's, yeah, what does it mean to be a witness. And so to be a faithful witness, three things. We must fall in love, not just fall in line, receive the power, and thirdly, share the news. So uh, fall in love, receive the power, and share the news. So falling in love, a lovely subject, isn't it? The best way to witness to something, as you may have heard said, um, is to fall in love with it, and it just becomes the overflow of your heart. And uh, just to, as an example, I remember kind of the year after I left school, I went on a gap year, as um, others have also done around East, Central East Asia and Australia, and did all the, the usual things, saw the beaches, had the cocktails, and uh, just had an incredible time, genuinely just an amazing few months doing that. And I remember coming back, and I would just find myself kind of sneaking into these conversations. Oh, yeah, that really reminds me of my gap year when I went to this and that. And at first, people, you know, were happy. They wanted to see the pictures and hear the stories. But it, it got pretty tiring after a while. And um, so, but I couldn't help it because I'd, I'd seen something that I just so loved and I had to share it. And I think that's our first point. We, we see something in Jesus that we just have to share it. We, we have to share it. And at this point, I just want to pick up on Judas as well, because I think, you know, you can't tell a person's motives and intentions fully. I'm not trying to say I, I completely understand Judas at all, because I don't know why he did what he did fully. But I think we can tell that Judas fell in line with the Jesus movement for some time. He fell in line with it, but he didn't fall in love with Jesus. 
And along, yeah, along with the rest of Israel, you know, he was, he was hoping for his nation to return as this political power. Um, and, and it's a valid interpretation of the scriptures. You know, a lot of the people of the time were, and all of Israel was longing to see to see Israel um, return to, you know, the glory days, to see God renew them and to renew the promises that he made over them. And so when Jesus, you know, he chooses Judas, which is another sermon which I am not qualified to do, but he chooses Judas and asks him to be, you know, one of the 12. And it's such, a, such an honor for Judas. You can only imagine how excited he was. And so he falls in line, but he, yeah, he doesn't fall in love because he has his own agendas. He doesn't see who Jesus really is or what he's really doing. And that just, yeah, his own agendas get in the way of that. He doesn't see that through nonviolent love and through suffering and sacrifice, Jesus is renewing all things, which is completely not what he was expecting or wanting. And so his motivation, yeah, sadly, is motivated. His, sorry, his um, obedience is motivated by Jesus' Jesus's usefulness to his own agenda. And when things start going, you know, the wrong way for Judas, when Jesus starts saying, the son of man must suffer and he must be killed, you know, you can imagine Judas thinking, well, hang on, what's, what's going on? This isn't the plan. Jesus, what, what is going on? And I guess he comes to the decision that Jesus isn't the Messiah. And so he sells him out. He betrays him, the word literally meaning to hand over. And I think Luke compares these stories of Judas and then Matthias and Peter to show us that we can't just fall in line with a way of living. Because to be a witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is going to cost something. Be it your pride, your preconceptions, maybe your social standing, sometimes even your safety. And this, you know, the Greek, uh, the word um, for witness, kind of similar to the word testimony, they have this similar root word in Greek, is martyr. And, you know, I'm not trying to say we, we experience anything like the, the social pressure of the early church. But we, even here in the 21st century in the UK, feel tempted to shut our mouths um, and to stay quiet about the truth. We've, you know, I feel that. I'm sure we've all experienced that temptation to be quiet when actually we, we should speak up. And this is the challenge Jesus gives us. Will you be my faithful witness even when it doesn't suit you? Will you witness to my resurrection even when it costs you something, even if it costs you your life. And it wasn't worth it for Judas, because nobody suffers for something they don't love. And I just want to be the first to say, I, I love the Lord, but I know I, I could love him so much better. And I think, you know, it's just a lifelong journey. When we can't force love, um, you can't force yourself to love someone or someone else to love you. Love is a response to beauty and a, love, uh, and a response to love received. And Jesus, as we know, is a limitless source of beauty and love. And because he is all good, the more we know about him, the more we love him. And, you know, sometimes you get to know people and actually the more you know, the more irritating they are. Um, you know, <laughs> when we got married, I'm sure that was Alex's experience of me. It's like, oh, you, you do that, do you? But that's not, that's not what it's like with God. The more we know, the more we love him. But also, as, as with human relationships, you know, you have, to, you have to put in the time and make time for each other. Love does, doesn't happen otherwise. So I guess my encouragement from this portion is let's just immerse ourselves in God's words, in prayer, in worship. Just, you know, even just singing there, Lord, I will fall at your feet 
freely you gave it all for us, just singing these beautiful words, these beautiful truths. And Helen said last week, you know, these, these are avenues of God's grace, prayer and um, scripture. And so the more we open up, the, our only response is going to be love. And yeah, I, I know it's, it's tricky in a busy world, you know, with so many demands on your time, but I just want to finish with this. Nikki Gumbel says, the key is not to prioritize what's on your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. Sorry, schedule your priorities. There's a challenge. Let's fall in love, not just in line. Secondly, receive the power. And we, we like talking about power in the charismatic circles, don't we? We love, love the power. And it's, it's an amazing thing. We love it because that is the power of God to transform lives. And Alex and I have been doing quite a lot of DIY recently. Um, has anyone used a wallpaper stripper steamer before? <laughs> a few hands. Really excited. Great. Yeah, I just feel like I'm at the age where wallpaper stripping steamers are just quite exciting. Um, which is sad, isn't it? And, uh, you know, we'd been trying before the steamer. I just had this little scraper, and I was really going at the walls, doing my best, um, with all the right motivation, but just really going nowhere. And to be honest, I just lost my rag with it, and I gave up. And then Alex bought the steamer. And honestly, life has not been the same since. It's just... <laughs> it's beautiful. And that's a... It's a little bit like <laughs> receiving the power, um, and we see it in the life of Peter, but with all the right motivations in the world, with all the will, we need the power from God. And let's just look at, so we've, got, we've had Judas, let's look at the life of Peter briefly. So 45 days prior to this event in today's passage, we see Peter's biggest failure as a witness, and we all, we all know the story, having sworn to Jesus' face. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And yet Peter, um, as predicted by Jesus, when questioned uh, after Jesus' arrest, he repeats three times, I do not know this man. And just, just I was listening to some Tim Keller, as I, as I do often, because he's just fantastic. And uh, he, just to, to bring this home even more, um, he says, when, when Peter says for the last time, he calls down curses, or sometimes it says curses on himself. Uh, but Tim Keller says, actually, the implications are far more serious here. If you look kind of linguistically at the Greek, um, which I haven't done, I've just listened to Tim Keller. But if you look at the Greek, um, it doesn't have this pronoun, so curse himself. It doesn't have this pronoun. But also the verb does need an object to it. And Tim Keller suggests that actually what Peter's doing in this last thing is to completely disassociate himself from Jesus in this moment. He scorns and derides his master, which I just think is so, so powerful um, and so tragic as well. And, yeah, when they say, surely you are with them, you are, you are a Galilean, and out of his mouth come these words, which he, just, he would never have expected or comprehended. And he, we don't know what he said, but he scorns his master and says, I do not know this man. And then it says, he hears the crow, and he breaks down. He literally falls apart and weeps. And Peter was unable to be a faithful witness, despite his best efforts, not because he's worse than us, but because he's just like us. And you've got to love Peter. He's just, he's so in, um, and he's so human as well. And yet there's, there's hope for Peter, and there's hope for us. And Peter goes on to become 
you know, as we know, the, the incredible, courageous leader leading the church and at Pentecost, you know, giving his, his address there. And what changed for Peter is that he received power from God in, in two ways, I think. Firstly, the power of grace, the power of forgiveness, and secondly, the power of the Holy Spirit. So following Peter's three denials, John's gospel records Jesus questioning and confirming Peter's loyalty and calling as he asked him three times, Simon, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And it's just this beautiful moment of Peter's you know, real lowest moment. He's betrayed his master who's, who's died, and yet here he is resurrected, reinstating him. And for every failure, there is an equal amount of grace for those who come back to God. And I think as I was preparing this, I just felt some of us needed to hear that tonight. That Jesus has called not only Peter by name, but he's called each and every one of us by name. And he's recommissioning us. Secondly, Peter receives the power of the Holy Spirit. There's this immediate dynamic change in Peter at Pentecost. And so having received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he courageously stands up and he gives his first public address. And it says 3,000 people come to faith in this moment. You just think, wow, that is a good first preach, isn't it? And Peter couldn't have done this in his own strength. Luke, I think I'm right in thinking Luke mentions the Holy Spirit more than any other gospel writers. And particularly we have it in Acts as he shows Jesus continues to move and raise up witnesses in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have the same spirit. You know, we have, we have access to that spirit all the time. And Peter had to journey through his weakness, had to journey through his pride, and yet he's drawn back to dependence on God and the power of the Spirit. So fall in love, receive the power, and finally, what does it look like sharing, sharing the news? How do we take our super objective of being a witness of the resurrection into our everyday, sometimes mundane weeks? How do we, how do, we do that? Three things. I love threes. Tell it, live it, and show it. There's obviously, you know, lots more, but I just want to go over these three. Uh, I'm not even going to unpack them massively because I think they're fairly um, self-explanatory, but I just want to encourage us that as a community, if we, if we pursue these things, if we grow in these things, we will see people come to know Christ, and that's, that's what it's all about, isn't it? So tell it. The most obvious way in, in many ways is to, to tell of what God has done in our lives, and there's nothing as powerful as our own stories. Even, you know, the most succinct theological, um, what are they called, arguments, are, are sometimes not as powerful as just a simple testimony of what God has done in your own life. So we've got 1 John 1 verse 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So what, what have you seen? What have you heard? That's your testimony. You don't have to have an incredible, radical, you know, I was this and now I'm this. But, but we do, if we actually think about the spiritual side of it, we were dead and we are now alive in Christ. We were living in darkness and we have come to the light. And I don't know, I, I find it personally quite hard to think of something on the spot. If you're given that window and you say, oh, why, why are you a Christian? And then I think, oh, flip, I've got to say something really meaningful here. And it's just quite hard to do that on the spot. So... Just as an encouragement, why, if you don't have something that's kind of on the tip of your tongue, just go home and think about it. I'm challenging myself to do this tonight as well. Maybe not tonight. Maybe next week. But maybe tonight, though. And, um, yeah, how can you deliver 
the goodness of God in your own life in 30 seconds, in a minute, whatever it is. So that's tell it. Secondly, live it. Glenn, live it. Ant was preaching this morning, um, amazing, amazing sermon this morning by Ant on how, how we can live as Christians. We were looking at um, 1 Corinthians 5, particularly around issues of um, morality and just how can we be salt and light. Um, and to be honest, just go and listen to that talk because that's just, it's, it's brilliant on this exact point. You're, you're a constant witness to Jesus by the way we conduct ourselves uh, both in the world, in the church. And I just want to share one thought from 1 Peter 2, verse 12. He says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And it is a challenge, you know, to just keep being, you know, trying to do your best. And, you know, there's grace, isn't there? It's not, it's not supposed to be a burden, but it's actually the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. But our way of life should be recognizable and distinct. It should be intriguing, sometimes inspiring, sometimes challenging. And I just, I read this about two years ago, and it just came to mind as I was preparing. It's from, I can't remember, it's an American journal, and it was written by a non-Christian, and he says this, I'm not religious, so it's not my place to dictate to Christians what they should and should not believe. Still, if they share 90% of my lifestyle and values, then there is nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become more like them, it looks very much as if they want to become more like me. I just think that's such a challenge. (laughs) You know, 90%, oh, actually, the resurrection changes everything. And whether we like it or not, we are always on show. Um, So it's just, yeah, live it. Let's encourage each other to do that. And finally, show it. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 5, our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. And as Anna and Helen have said um, many times, we hold two things in very high regard. We, we honor the word of God as our foundation, our bedrock, and we honor the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts, we just see story after story of how the early church modeled, you know, witnessing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And just one, one example that comes to mind is Philip in Acts 8, uh, 4 to 8. And it says, um, he, as the church has been scattered, he goes down to a city in Samaria and he says he proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. And the manifest gifts of the Spirit, again, it's a huge topic. I'm not going to say an awful lot now, but includes things like healing and prophecy, words of knowledge, uh, words of wisdom, speaking in tongues, discerning tongues, discerning spirits, and, and miracles. And these are all described as signs in the Gospel of John as well as other places, and they reveal that God, yeah, he did indeed rise from the dead, and that he is renewing all things. It's a sign of that. And that he really does care um, about us and about his creation. It just, it it cuts through kind of our our words sometimes, just the power of God. And maybe you've experienced these gifts before, maybe 
you haven't, uh, maybe they're all a bit weird to you, and that's totally okay, because they are in, in lots of ways. Um, but as we journey through Acts, we are, we're going to go on this journey um, learning about the gifts of the Spirit, how we can partner with the Holy Spirit in this way. And I do believe God is going to release courage and power within us. And tonight I want to pray for us, and we're going to do that in just a sec. Let's just recap. The one thing I guess I hope we'll, we'll remember is that our objective above all objectives is to be a witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to love him, to receive the power he has for us, and to go out and share the news. And I want to give us a chance to be recommissioned again, in a sense. And we're just going to wait on the Holy Spirit for a little while. Um, Andrew, actually, would you mind doing the Holy Spirit keys? <laughs> Always does the trick. And, yeah. Lord, we want to fall in love with you more and more. We want to go with boldness into this hurting world that you have loved, you have created, and proclaimed that you are God's anointed king, that you have risen, and because of that, everything has changed.